And good afternoon. It is Thursday at the slightly earlier time of uh, noon o'clock. How are you doing, guys? This is Jamie and David, and we're joined by the wonderful Rhiannon Giddens. Hey, Rhiannon, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for joining us. On the opposite, opposite end of the day than you guys, but... <laughs> Later in the evening. You're over, over on the yeah. other side of the Atlantic today. So yeah. uh, we, we really appreciate you joining us. Rhiannon, obviously a longtime daring banjo artist and, and a founding member of uh, Grammy Award-winning Carolina Chocolate Drops. Uh, she has since forged a very successful solo career, and her latest album, There Is No Other, is an outstanding piece of work. And she's here now to talk about it, um, and I'm, what I'm sure and what we hope will be a host of other fascinating topics to go along with it, um, given there is the wonderful Rhiannon Giddens. Welcome to Deering Live. And uh, David, David Bandrachi is with me as always. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Rhiannon. Good to be here. There we go. <laughs> All right. Would you mind playing us in a little something? And then uh, we'll go for it. I will. I'm going to play uh, an oldie, an oldie but a giddie. Um, All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I wanted to start, kind of start off just kind of diving in, talking about your album that you released last at the end of last year. There is no other. Um, mm, was it last year? Or was it the year before? Oh, really? Two years now. Yeah, we got a new one coming out in April. Wow. Yeah. What's, the, what's that called? Uh, call them, they're calling me home. All right. Um, what's, what's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What's the, uh, what's kind of the, um, what's, who did you do it with and, and what's the instrumentation kind of? Well, we weren't, uh, you know, I did, I did, um, there is no other with my partner, Francesco Teresi and 
it was kind of a going back to a more minimal sound I'd kind of um when I started doing um th solo stuff and I started off with T-Bone Burnett for my first solo record and I went from you know a string band and, and before that I you know hadn't done any kind of drum set or <laughs> I used to swear I'd never play with the bass and <laughs> and uh you know just found the right combo and started doing big band big band things and that was kind of that for a while and then you know at the end of the last tour I just was really wrecked and I just said I just got to take it take it back a little bit right um and so that 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 record was really an investigation and kind of exploration of all the points of connection that Francesco and I have and through us the music that we espouse you know I'm on one side of the Atlantic he's on the other so for the next one you know the plan was to go back to an ensemble and and uh you know we were going to work in California and all of that got scuppered um because of COVID so you know we weren't we were always planning on doing another one kind of a not a not a not a sequel, you know, or anything to There's No Other, but, you know, we knew we'd want to go back and do that again and explore other things. And so it was just him and I and some lovely folks in, in Ireland. And we just said, we got to make something because <laughs> we're going a little crazy. Um, we were lucky that we got into the studio right before all the lockdowns, you know, started coming back again. Um, and yeah, the music that we'd been kind of just exploring, which is a lot of traditional stuff, um, a lot of really old stuff that like I started off learning in the old time world, you know, years and years ago and just kind of connecting to our, our own roots, you know, um, and discovering the comfort that those old songs have, you know, at times like this. So digging, digging down to, you know, kind of primal stuff in some ways as well. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for that to come out. We're just finishing it up, the artwork and everything, and and uh, you know I'm sure I'll talk more about it. But I don't even know how much I'm supposed to say. But <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Um, uh, there is no al other album recording is is you know fantastic. You know, you mentioned it's a, it's a minimalism sort of sound, but the thing that strikes me so much is how fat and big of a sound y'all get with it being so cut down, just, you know, yeah. sometimes just just a banjo and, and frame drums and it still sounds like a full, you know, it doesn't just sound like you put a mic in and played some tunes, which right. can happen <laughs> when you strip it down so much. Sometimes it, it really sounds bad. Is there any, how do you, how do you think you got to achieve that sort of sound? Well, it was kind of like, I mean, the, the whole reason that we, at it all was Francesco kind of he's um knows a lot I mean he's like degrees in and he's taught it and he's played it he knows a lot about jazz and and he comes he comes from Italy so he's coming from sort of a different perspective and how he learned jazz and he learned from a lot of like you know I think one of his teachers like hardcore beep you know beep beep off I can't I don't know the terms but like real traditional way of learning like orally just kind of like just do it um this kind of stuff and he was really um he has a perspective of the history that's not kind of wrapped up within it because he's from you know he's from italy um and he heard the chocolate drops and he was like this is this is like missing link why does nobody talk about this like he could hear the sound you know and which is true black string band music is often completely forgotten in histories of jazz histories of blues histories of american music histories of country history of bluegrass you know it's kind of it's at the heart of all of those things but it's never talked about and he reached out to me and he said you know i think our sound world would sound good together like he just had this instinct that you know his mediterranean sounds and and so when we first got together, we, we just realized pretty quickly that his frame drums and, and tambourines and stuff connected completely with my my banjo, especially the banjos, you know, that I was that I've have a darker sound and uh, an older style. So it just we just kind of realized that those it takes up all of the it takes up all of the wavelength or it, all the sound waves or whatever. It takes up all those little 
There's yeah. places where your sound can get into and banjo and the drum. And, and in fact, we met often with a fantastic bass player, uh, upright bass player named Jason Cypher, who I've played with for many years. And we have to be very careful because like the frame drum actually is in the same spot as the bass, you know? Right. So we have to, you know, it's like, it really is that big of a sound when it's amplified, you know, um, correctly. And it just, between the two and then the voice on top, it just kind of occupies. And so we were kind of, we were really excited about that because neither one of us had, had really had that experience of being able to fit so completely with mm-hmm. another person's instrumentation. Yeah. I mean, listening to the, the title track, um, there is no other where it is just it's just a duet of banjo and drum uh, you know it, it it really showcases how, how they just fit together so well just like you're saying just now but then it also kind of harkens back to the original you know the the roots of the banjo in Africa when 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 the banjo is playing with hand drums you know it's completely different types of drums and different rhythms that are happening but it's uh, but it just seems that it kind of works together. Um, would you agree with that? Or Yeah, I mean, it's a different, like a lot of the places where the sisters come from, it's a different kind of drum. It's a different kind of drumming. It's a different function. So we are reaching across, you know, it's not an obvious thing to have yeah. frame drum and banjo. Um, and the connection is... I mean, it kind of mirrors, there's a lot, there's very interesting connections, the way that the, you know, trans-Saharan Arabic slave trade connected North Africa and West Africa. I mean, it's just, it's very, and then, you know, frame drums are played all over North Africa. You know, so um, there's just lots of layers to it, I think, but it's not necessarily a sound that's obvious, you know, until you play it. And then you're like, oh my God, that's great. But you wouldn't think given history I wouldn't have put those two things together, you know? And the other thing that we found is that all the rhythms that he plays on on, on that fit so beautifully with the, the, the technique that I've come come into, which is a, is a combination of, you know, playing with Joe Thompson, um, who was, you know, a black fiddler from North Carolina and, and kind of heir to a very long line of black string bands players. Um, and then studying a lot of, techniques from the 1850s um you know when the first banjo tutors were put out and you know those kind of have combined over the years in in my body and in my hands and so i it's actually extremely easy to play with him i find that the you know uh the way that i play with the fifth i i do a lot of things with with it you know that that aren't really they they come from all the stuff that I've done inside the basic claw hammer technique, you know, and it just fit with that gun, 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 just, you know, and I never would have expected that, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't even, can, you know, bring in the Italian, you know, it's more of the Mediterranean stuff and like the, um, the Mitchell banjo. I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot of layers. Yeah. Yeah. And then this was also, was this your second time working with Joe Henry? As a, as a producer? Yeah, for, for There Is No Other. Yeah, he, um, first time as a, not as a chocolate drop. So, because he done the Carolina chocolate drop record that won the Grammy. That's, that was his yeah. producing. Um, and that was the first time I'd worked with him. And over the years, he's kind of called me into, I've, you know, done really amazing things. Like I was on Alan Toussaint's last record. Um, you know, he's called me in for, to come sing here and there. And, I, we'd been talking about doing a record together for a long time. Um, and so it finally came in. We were planning on another one, but <laughs> that'll have to wait for another day. <laughs> so how do you think he pulls such great performances and from the artists he works with? Just, you know, Joe? Oh, everything he's, he'd work as a producer, everything he works with. Uh, it just it really brings another depth of of the artistry out of, out of people rather than just, again, the sound of playing a mic in front of somebody and same play. Yeah, he's he's of the you know he's kind of of the T Bone school. I know that he he worked he's worked a lot with T Bone. Right. Um, he, but he has his own thing. You know, it's it's there's this confidence in him and an absolute trust that he has for you. 
the artist, you know, it's like, he knows that you're going to be able, you're going to do the thing that you need to do. And he just needs to create the space for that. But he also knows when to go, you know, let's try this and when to not say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really hard, actually. Yeah. I think it's a very skillful thing um, because then you can kind of get into a space of absolute trust as an artist and go, well, you know, and, you know, he works with great engineers and Ryan. Um, oh, what's this? I forgot. I'm blanking. All right. On the wonderful man who did our sound. Huh? He'll come back. You know, uh, I'm, I can't just totally blanking. So sorry. I love you. Um, Cause he's a genius. Like he's such a great sound engineer. Um, and you know, we net, we sat down and there's kind of a joke that we never knew when we were actually playing the take, like, cause we were switching instruments, you know, we had, spread everywhere they were everywhere because this we were still at the beginning of our partnership too so we were still figuring out what worked together so there's all this discovery and so we just kind of think oh we just picked oh maybe this pick up and we start playing and that would be the take right and he had ryan it was ryan ryan freeland he he had it he was always there it was like we'd be talking and something and he would just be kind of creeping around and he would just adjust that 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 go back into the thing and then so like the very first um the very first uh set of uh of roughs they all had you know sentences on them they all had me talking right before you know because and he cleaned them up beautifully there's one he left on you know which was which was cool how does this go i don't know and we'd literally just bang you know um and that was an amazing experience because we were in a it was five days you know from beginning to finish and we were in kind of in this alternate state you know, for most of it. And yeah, it was special. It was a special uh, a thing for sure. And how there's, a, if there's, there's probably a number of artists watching, um, how important is it that you think to work with a producer when you're making a recording? You no, know, you know, a lot of artists on a certain level don't get a chance to work with a producer or they don't even, or they don't really understand the importance of that part of it. Um, of, so what would you say to those artists that are kind of watching to, to try to teach them something maybe about that aspect of recording? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I, I've been, I've, I've worked with a, quite a few different producers now and this record that we just did, we produced ourselves cause we had to, you know, and it was an interesting experience. Um, and you know, we're definitely, we're happy that we did it this way because of just the situation and the the material. It was just, it made sense, but I'm quite happy to go back to having a producer for the next record. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's really important to have somebody who, who is outside of the creative process. I mean, maybe they're helping finish a song or something like that, but they're outside of the recording process and they have ears that are in the booth not in the recording room. And I think that it is important to have. You can't, what, I think what ends up happening a lot when you're producing your own material, it, what can happen is that you start relying on the engineer to get that extra set of ears. And that's not the engineer's job. The engineer is supposed to capture the most beautiful sound, the best, you know, and that's what all of their energy should be going to. And if you start leaning on them to start making decisions for you, um, that's not particularly fair i think you know it starts widening and then it's just like unless that's what they really want to do and in which case they're starting to help you produce it so it's a different you know it's a different job so i think you know i i think a lot of people would do you know i think there's some people who can do it who can who so obviously they self-produce and it's fine um i think some people probably will always want a producer i think some people will I think it's a it's a project by project basis. I think I'm I'm always going to go towards having a producer, but what I've discovered is that I want to I want to say in it, you know, and I want to you know, there might be some projects where I want to be a co-producer. Right. You know. Want to be a team. Um Huh? You'd like it to be a team effort, a joint effort. 
you know, you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, there might there might be some where I'm like, no, y'all y'all pick. I'm just going to sing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if it's like a covers record, you know, that's I'd be more, you know. But if it's my original material, if it's something that's a concept album or something, then I want to be involved. I think it. Just, I really think it's a project by project basis, but. I do think that if you can get someone, you know, you have to get the right right one, you know, and sometimes they're cost prohibitive, but if you can manage it um, and you get someone who has done records that you admire, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and they've worked with people that you like and ask them how it was to work with them because every now you can't going to last one or this is what it's supposed to be like really do. Go to people who've who've done stuff with them and go. How was it? What was it like? Mm-hmm. Were they in the booth all the time? Were they out? You know, were they involved? Were they? Did they have lots of ideas? Did they do a lot of post production? Did they? You know, and then you can decide what you want out of that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your banjos a little bit. We I know you know we have a what's all banjo fans that are that are, that are here and. Um, and um, you're playing a number of different instruments uh, uh, as of late, and um, and on, the, on your record that we've been talking about, you've used a use a minstrel style banjo. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, yeah. you, you so this one, just because I have it, I mean, I I obviously you know I started off playing was all Deering. My first banjo was Deering, and then my next banjo was Deering, and then my next banjo was Deering, and <laughs> then I went minstrel, and I haven't gone back. Um, and they're all in Nashville, which is really annoying. I don't have any of them here. But um, I kind of, when I started playing uh, nylon or nile gut, which is an imitation gut string, um, I, it's actually been quite hard for me to go back to metal string. So this is actually a turn of the century banjo I bought at Grunz Guitars. Um, J.F. Luscombe's professional patent, whatever, Marshfield mess, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a... I'm not a gearhead. I don't really care. Um, I just care about the sound. But I just love this banjo because it is nylon strung, um, and it but it still has this. I can kind of you know get a little bit back to the the sound that I used to, that I used to have and what I had yeah. you know for a long time. And it looks like um, a short And if, if I need to, sorry, to was is it a shorter mm-hmm. scale banjo as well? Do the one you just had in your hand? No. No? Just regular. Okay. No, it's just a, it's a G. It's a G banjo. Okay, cool. You know. And then you're going to yeah. go grab... I have a banjo. I have a, also 1898. I have an 1898 banjarine, but that's also back in Asheville. It's an A-scale banjo. I love it. Um, I bought it years ago. It's very, very cool. But yeah, I only have, I only have four banjos here. It's so sad. <laughs> So this is my, this is my axe, I suppose, um, made by Jim Hartle. Beautiful. He is such an amazing craftsman. There's an American craftsman or American. Um, there's a series on American craftspeople, and he, they did a piece on him, and they interviewed me for it. It's really really cool. Um, but yeah, just beautiful. This is a replica of I think a couple of different kinds of ba- a couple of different banjos from roughly 1858 uh, by a banjo maker named Levi Brown. And Jim sort of took, I think he, he kind of combined a few of, of, of Levi's um, banjos. But I think one of the most interesting things about it is that it has this guitar headstock. So this is, this is Levi's design, not Jim's. Jim's just copying it. Um, not just, I mean, he's an amazing artist on his own right, but I just mean he didn't He's not putting a modern guitar stock on it. This was how it was in the 1850s. And you see the guitar tuners here. And it's amazing how steady it makes this. You know, it's a fretless instrument with a, you know, skinhead. Uh-huh. And what would have been gut strings, obviously, it's this is Nalga Aquila has, um, is an amazing string company and they have a very good imitation gut. They're a little heavier than nylon, they just have a sweet. Aquila, Aquila, yeah, they do a lot of like Renaissance strings and gut strings and stuff, um, and it's a little bit heavier than nylon. It's got a bit of a sweeter sound, you know. And then I've been miking it from the back when I play with um, this is a uh, percussion mic. Okay. Um, when I play with drum set and electric gu- guitars and stuff, 
But now I'm just doing the ear trumpet. We, we're just doing now an ear trumpet lab. Mic in the front, and that's just just. Play a little bit. So obviously, it's yeah. It's a, a couple of uh, fifty-five. Here, I'll, so I'm in um, low C tuning, not double C, but um, gum, it's called gumbo chaff tuning. Wow, what the <laughs> it's notes? thing. Um, Huh? What are the notes? I see. Instead of da da to that one, the low string goes down a step. I think it's F maybe. Uh -huh. So you can play either in that key or you can play in C or F. because my nail I've had this beautiful <laughs> nail for weeks and it just broke literally yesterday which is I always the understand. way I, think I like, put my hand in something and it just broke all the claw hammer players here understand that is no, no worries <laughs> tell you what make that run the run down the bass run um how do you approach yeah. now those are three tunes from 1955 yeah from when 1955 55 they're from the intro instructor time somebody actually put this banjo and uh there's a lot of amazing tunes in there what was that book again it, it cut up a little bit and couldn't hear you it's called the Briggs Banjo Instructor. Okay. Very cool. And Joseph um, 
Wiedlick, Wiedlick, ah, or maybe saying his name wrong, but he did a, he took the, the book, which was in actually standard notation, which I don't read standard notation on the banjo. I don't know many people who do. So he put it in tablature form and uh, just made it accessible for people who don't want to try to translate it. So it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's all, it's available. You can get it off Amazon. Oh, well, they, they put it back in print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because he did it. He, he, he took the songs and he sort of contextualized them and talked about Briggs and then, you know, put it in nice, very legible tablature. It's Center Stream uh, Company puts it out. Yeah. But yeah, you can check it I'll out on Amazon. Out. Interesting. How do you approach the fretless banjo or, you know, differently than, you know, standard fretted banjo? There are different approaches uh, them or just kind of... Wing well, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, I mean, I, I play the fiddle, so yeah. that helps, um, that I learned how to play that first. And so the idea of a fret, fretless instrument was still scary, but not as scary maybe. Mm-hmm. And also, but the thing is that the, actually the, the technique that is so different for this is not, I mean, this, you have to find the notes and then you have all these slides, you know, then you can do kind of. You can do microtones if you want, you know, if you're good enough, like I'm not, <laughs> but you have a lot of freedom in there. Um, but the the thing about this is the, the give the strings, you know, um, the fact that, that there's so much give to them means that the technique is, is different. And like, if you play the, I used to play these Briggs tunes on on modern banjo and they sounded fine but then when i played them on this you know the give that the strings have gives you this kind of bounce and this ability to do some really different rhythmic things that didn't make it into Clawhammer style you know this is called what i was playing there it's called stroke style right. and it's there's a lot of techniques in this that did not translate that I mean they I mean, not translate they didn't make it when when this kind of started to morph and become you know regional styles and then and what we know of is sort of old time frailing you know uh banjo playing a lot of the really special stuff for me when i find this stuff and and the stuff that really brings out that three against two you know um thing that we associate with african descended musics you know um i'm trying to think uh There's a lot of thumb work, you know. I mean, if you just hearing that, um, the, the, the emphasis that you can give. It really just like, it pulls out this extra, there's a whole different layer of rhythm in these very simple tunes right. when you play them on the instruments that they're meant for. Right. And for me, that's where the connection to, I mean, I studied like pre-banjo instruments, like I studied the accounting a little bit and went to the Gambia and I mean, I didn't do, you know, what Bela did, but like, I didn't, I mean, I had, I was lucky enough to get there for two weeks. Let's just say that yeah. I was you know, right. not in the position that Bela's in. So that's fine. But, but what I discovered was when I found this, you know, was like oh this is kind of the connection the connector between you know those kind of instruments and what we now think of as the banjo like this is where i wanted to start spending time because i was i was hearing ancestral things in this instrument playing these tunes um and then starting to adapt other things you know and then my my banjo style altogether has really you know uh just kind of conformed to this and, and I found out things, you know, things that I had, the ways that I had played, you know, with Joe Thompson, like fit so naturally on this banjo. It's just a lot of things came together when I picked it up, for sure. Yeah, you can really hear the difference in your playing style now versus, you know, during your earlier records. Um, and, you know, I guess what's just what you said, you know, the banjo is really kind of, the different instrument instrument that you're using has, has kind of changed the playing style in that way, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I've just kind of sunk into it, and I'm just like I'm discovering things, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, now that I'm playing with Francesco, I'm like even more. There's these things that I was hinting at, and then he starts playing the frame drum, and I'm like, that's all in here. <laughs> that's what. That's right. I, I was kind of hinting at that. Now I can just kind of like let go and be in it. So it's amazing. How would you, if you concisely without getting too deeply into it, um, how would you kind of say what is that different how would you what would how would you um describe what stroke style banjo playing is oh gosh yeah I'm, and i'm no expert um um there's just there it's it's a oh god how do i explain where, whereas the claw hammer technique is all based on the boom, ticka boom, ticka boom, ticka boom, ticka boom, ticka boom. Obviously, there's many variations of that, but kind of the backbone of it. There's nothing like that in stroke style. There's no, you don't just, like, as you can hear, all three, I, the reason I played those three tunes is they all three sound very different. You know, this is a in three or six. There's all this like really interesting either pre-syncopation or syncopation, whatever you want to call it, in there that disallows the um chicka um chicka um chicka um to just keep going. You know, when I'm playing that banjo, like I was playing Georgia Buck, I mean, that's just, you know, and whether I, I, I can take a moment and highlight different things, but it's all still going back to this. Whereas stroke style is much more, there's much more things going on in terms of, and it's serving a different purpose as well a lot of it's for songs you know a lot of it's accompanying songs and um and stuff like that so i mean not that old-time banjo isn't but yeah i don't know it's just uh, it hasn't been it's still very much kind of figuring itself out i, I think and and very nascent it's very um there's all these yeah i don't know it, it just uh it's a bounce it's it's bouncier it's god what i wouldn't give for greg adams to walk in right now and just say the perfect two sentences about stroke style because he knows um i don't know it, I, it, I can hear it i can play it i don't know if i can say it <laughs> I understand. No, no problem. um yeah there's an album by michael miles that um that that you're playing reminds me of you familiar with him He's a banjo player. I think out of, he teaches at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Um, but uh, yeah, he plays, you know, fretless banjos and probably in the same style. You know, I never really knew exactly that it was stroke style. So there's, you know. Well, more, just because he's playing a fretless banjo doesn't mean he's playing stroke style. No, 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 no. Not because it's fretless. It's the, the same rhythmics sort of thing that's going on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, let's see. So something. Let's see. The banjo, you know, your banjo has a checkered history, <laughs> and, and 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 you're a real good scholar. You know, you have become quite a scholar of, of the you know of the history of the instrument, um, and it's been such a integral part in American cultural history. Um, do you want to just kind of talk about you know how much? How much of part of the banjo has been part of American history? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's uh, checkered. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I'll, I'll move to this banjo now. This is this is my gourd banjo, uh, made by Teilhard Frost from Canada. I don't know which province. I'm sorry. He's an amazing um, musician. Uh, instrument maker um, and I've had this for a long time well a long time relatively I guess but 
it's got friction pegs, as you can see. So yeah, it's a little yeah. bit. I have a hard time keeping it in tune, which is why it doesn't travel with me. But oh gosh, it records like butter. It's so beautiful. And it's a banjo. play for myself because that's where the sound hole is ah so you can so i hear it hear better it. than anybody <laughs> it's such a cheater banjo i'm just like yeah <laughs> i mean it still sounds great coming out but man it's just like it's like a soul sound mm -hmm. it just kind of goes washes over <laughs> me so yeah, I mean you have you have pre. A lot of people get confused. Banjo is not African; it's African American. You know, um, I was just reading something that Laurent Du uh, was saying. It's part of his book. It's something I kind of talk about too. Is people forget that brought. You know, we're not one people <laughs> nationalities different languages different religions different cultures different music and then the idea of an, of an african-american you know whether it's south or north identity starts to form as soon as people hit the hit the soil um on the other side of the ocean because they have to they have to form you know they they have already started having to communicate with each other and then they have to communicate with europeans but their own folks you know, even though it's not the same language, it's at least the same language system, <laughs> you know, they can understand each other and they're in the same, in some ways in their, because they're in the same boat. So music is one of those things that that's how we, that's how we talk to each other. And um, so the instrument that we know of now as the banjo starts to form, you know, in the Caribbean and becomes then started people start noticing it calling it the banjo the banza the whatever all these different term, terms and then slowly it just becomes we know it as the banjo and it's the 1820s and 30s is the first time you know it's formed in the 1600s and the 1820s and 30s is the first time that white people that we have written down that white folk start to pick up you know like who knows Sometime at some point, you know, somebody, hello, <laughs> just stand up because otherwise it's going to be really weird. If you, go to the door. if you need to come in, come in. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> becomes a uh, yes, I'm almost done. Thank you. Um, the <laughs> what was I saying? I don't know. Story of my life in 2020 and 2021. Uh, yes, very serious stuff. Um, Right, so white people start to play it and it starts to make this transition from, you know, a handmade instrument to, you know, an instrument that's being advertised in catalogs and whatever. Um, and so the, the reason why people don't know this is because, you know, as it, it made that transition and for, there was a good chunk of time where blacks and whites were playing it. And then, you know, there's a great migration, huge displacement of African-Americans out of their, you know, what they were doing and so things change, culture changes, you know, new music starts to happen in the North, blah, blah, blah. But there were still plenty of black people playing the banjo and loving the banjo. And then the recording industry comes and starts to segregate music and white supremacists start to talk about this mythical white ethnic music of square dance and, you know, fiddle and banjo and, you know, fiddle competitions start to come out of the woodwork where black people can't play even if they're like the best fiddlers in that area, whatever, you know, it's just like all these things start to happen and then you have media. And so it's just like a perfect storm in the twenties. And then, you know, bluegrass comes along and most of those, you know, the, the vanguard of, of that era, bluegrass country, whatever you're talking about, Jimmy Rogers, you're talking about any of those guys, they're all talk about the black musicians they learned from. They were very clear about it, but somehow it, doesn't get into the story. It's starting to now, but um, so that's the checkered past. It's it's a it's a past where black people were full participants in the creation of this part of American music and have been written out of the story. Um, they didn't walk away from the banjo. You know, it was uh, the story was erased in, in a lot of ways, very deliberately. So 
it's a big, big job to try to fix that. I try to do my part whenever I can. Um, but because I think it's, the reason why I think it's important is because it is done on purpose to keep us separated. And that means we can't, you know, if we, if we can't come together and go, wow, we did this together. This was like a working class, cross-cultural, multi-dimensional, diverse thing. How amazing. And then it was, it was, you know, it was segregated. <laughs> we didn't segregate ourselves. We never segregate ourselves. We're segregated, you know. And it has happened in other times and other places with soul music, with this, that. I mean, you know. But um, I just think it's important to tell the story because... It, this is one of music is one of the most easiest ways that we come together so it literally should be the truth should be out because you know this is one of the more beautiful aspects of our <laughs> of our species so why 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 would we not want that out why would we not be proud of that you know people have to there might be some people threatened by it but that's you know i'm like it's not an either or it's not because we're in it, you're not in it all of a sudden. It's like, it's, it's then it becomes we're all in it, which is great, you know, because that's the truth. Want to play something on the instrument you're holding? Yeah, so I want to play a little, um, it's called Coromanti. Uh, I've sort of added some parts to it, but it's from the Hans Sloan document. It's some of the earliest music written down by people of African descent in the New World. Um, Jamaica and um, so it's you know it's, it's amazing we have these little pieces you know we don't have a lot but we have these little pieces so this is you know black made music in the 16 whatever I or 17 I can't remember <laughs> really bad with the dates I'm not a scholar <laughs> I just play one on beat. Now seems like a really good time. I didn't want to push my luck. <laughs> I didn't want to push my luck with the board. It was like slowly <laughs> sliding <laughs> off my the, the tuna, the, no, I put the, the tuners on that are fascinating to me. They're, they're, they're pretty hard to tune, huh? The what? The tuners, the tuner buttons. <sighs> These things. Look at that. That's crazy. Such a beautiful design. And, you know, when I get it, it's fine. But getting it, I'm, you know, I use my fine tuners on my fiddle. So, I mean, you know, I'm not really good with the, with these ones. But, you know, I've, that piece that I just played, I've actually, um, that is the beginning of the overture to my opera that's, uh, that I was commissioned to write. I wrote a lot of the music on the banjo. And it's going to, it's basically, you know, Michael Abel's put it into orchestra yeah. um, notation. And it's amazing to hear banjo tunes. Yeah, yeah. You know in the orchestra it's pretty cool it's rad and and thank you for you know answering the question um previous to that on you know on the history of it it's fascinating it's it's you're such a like david said you're such an amazing scholar and, and just uh authority on the subject you know and it's really fascinating to hear like you know from you directly like how that all comes about it's, it's an important part of the of the history of the instrument that we can't ever let go of so thank you for doing what well, you do look, i'm yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who puts things together and, and packages it up and, and, and makes it make sense in five minutes or less. But, but to be able to do that means there's like so many scholars whose books that I've read who did all the work, you know, and, and that's really important. I never want that like, they did the slogging and the <laughs> footnotes sure. and the this and the that, you know, and without them, I will have the kind of confidence that I have, you know, so 
I always like to say, you know, my job, I'm kind of like the musical performing arm. <laughs> right. The scholar team, you know, like they do all the stuff and then I kind of try to, you know, put it out there in a in a different way to people who may never you know. Um yeah. like I can get them wrong. <laughs> Because I'm just a banjo player, <laughs> you know. But I try to I try to get my facts as straight as I can, and you know, I have no problem saying if I'm wrong or if I if I screwed that up. But you know, it's a lot you're of great people writing a lot well. of great stuff. You're, you're planting seeds in people's minds yeah. that, that maybe they didn't know certain things, and maybe maybe some of them will take that, you know, and, and run with that piece of factoid information, or some of them might you know delve into that world a little bit deeper. Um, so I think that's probably the most important part is that you're at least making people yeah. think about it. And that's, that's all I, that's all I want because you know, this stuff has been hidden for too long. Right. And, and for me, the more I discover them, the more I'm like, dang, that's cool. Why wouldn't we want to know that? That's freaking cool. It is cool. That's yeah. the thing. History is cool. Uh, whether it's, you know, history is history, unfortunately. And there's, there's wonderful parts and, and maybe not so wonderful parts and, but it's all important. And so, yes. Appreciate you for for doing that. Um, I'm going to jump in um, and and take some questions. I know you've got you know a little bit of time, and I know your your, your beautiful kids are waiting to see when mommy's done. So um, let's get to a couple of questions. They're watching, <laughs> watching cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely um, a few people asking in the chat um, about kind of how how old were you when you started getting into Clawhammer or banjo in general, and kind of who were your influences from some. Trying to get into that. <laughs> um, well, I started. I started relatively late. Um, I grew up hearing bluegrass banjo. My uncle played. Uh, he played guitar, but he played in a bluegrass band. Evidently, my grandfather on my dad's side was a bluegrass musician, so it's kind of in my blood in a lot of ways. But I, I never heard old time till I was an adult, and I remember. Okay. Just come in if you need something. They can come Seriously. in and say hey. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so I didn't, was listening to a Dolly Pardon CD is her Little Sparrow, and there's a song in there, Marry Me, and at the end it goes into this Clawhammer breakdown, and I was like, what is that? Oh, my God, it's so funny because Justin Robinson, who was an, one of the other co-founders of the Chocolate Drops, he and I had this moment where we both – that was the first time we really heard Clawhammer was like in that moment of Marry Me, like, what? What is this? And um, but then I discovered, you know, uh, the dance community in, in North Carolina and a lot of the like the contours and squares and a lot of the music was square was uh, old music. Yeah. And so I started hearing Round Peak and kind of going, what is this amazing thing? And so I was 23 or so, 23, yeah, 24, was, yeah. before I borrowed a banjo. And yeah. uh, just kind of lock. Yeah, that's the way to Say do what? it. That's the way to do it. Just lock yourself away and just and, and get hooked on it, Let's right? Slow it down for a second. Yeah, we 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 got a couple of little uh, connection issues, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, you, you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Close cool. the door. Gotta love kids. This is tw this is 2020, 2021. This is what it's like. This is the Zoom world that yeah, we live in right now. Yeah, I understand. I have kids. I get it. Um, I took. I did take. I did take like a like a week long workshop with Kathy Fink. Oh, cool. Um, and I took a lesson here or there, but mostly it was just kind of like sounding like crap for <laughs> for a while. And then when I was just kind of like just getting it. You know, and then I started playing with Joe and uh, that really that was it. You know, all th all three of me, me, Dustin and Dom hadn't really been playing old time that long when we started playing with Joe. And it's really fundamentally changed, like, you know, affected how we play old time music by playing with him so much, you know, and learning his music. That's really, really cool. And a couple of people asking and making comments that you also play uh, fiddle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what other instruments do you play besides banjo and fiddle? Is it is it those two? Or? I mean, that's mostly it. I, all the rest of my stuff is in my voice, you know, because I, I, I sing a lot of different styles. But I do play, I've switched to viola now. 
Um, I cross tune my viola, okay. and I, I I play in C instead of G because I just love the sound of it. And I also have an octave viola, which is like cello, That's cool. like a cello. It's amazing. I play yeah. a tiny bit of guitar. Um, that's it. And that's it, really. Stringed instruments. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Though. I like it. Um, one of the questions I had personally um, was actually in the interview on that magazine that I showed you at the beginning, which I love. But there's there's a, a line in there that you said where you refer to songs as historical artifacts, um, and that if we listen, you know, and look into them in the right context, that we can, you know, we can reap all the benefits uh, or a lot of benefits from those. Can you? Elaborate on that a little bit, uh, maybe throw in some examples of things that have really kind of hit you in that way um, to kind of shape where you are now. Yeah, I mean, you go back, like I, I, I for one, you know, there's a lot of songs. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how many specific examples I could give in from old time music, but I I remember the moment where I was like, oh, I understand my grandparents so much more right mm -hmm. now by really digging into these songs. Um, you know, songs come out of a time, they come out of a moment, they come out of a culture. And I think it's really important to know what you're singing about. I think it's really important to know where the song is coming from. I, I sing a song called Underneath the Harlem Moon. I taught kind of a taught half a class on it um, last week for Santa Clara. And if you take those lyrics and dissect those lyrics as sung by Ethel Waters, not the original Coon song, yeah. but what she does with it, it's like, Harlem is laid at your feet, you know, and, or, uh, you know, the, like from the Harlem Renaissance, you know, yeah. and you just kind of go, Oh my gosh, there's, I just, I, I really would love if history classes would use music and an art as well, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. like, um, the Creolization of American Culture, uh, that re recent book that looks at the the paintings, the famous paintings of uh, by, oh God, I've forgotten his name. I'm, I'm really tired, I have to say. I've, I've been mothering all day. I'm, I'm a bit wrecked. But um, look, looking at paintings, like contemporary paintings, looking at contemporary music and discovering, like a lot of minstrel songs were political. You know, a lot yeah. of them were... Yeah used for, for political things and and you know and i just think the more that we could kind of there's new there's historical scholars and then there's musicologists and i think there's an overlap that we're not taking advantage of and that's kind of where mm. i sit is in is in between those two because you don't have music without history and you don't have you know history without music like they coexist <laughs> i mean they have right. to you know um, every song is in a historical context. So the more that I have dug into that, the more rewarding it's been for me and my understanding of not only where I come from culturally, but where we're going. That's you know. very profound. I love it. I love it. I, I thought you might give me a, a, a really insightful answer on that one. So I appreciate that. I don't I like think it. about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's your life, right? It's your life. Yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure. I know that, um, like I say, I think uh, we're we're coming up to the hour. Um, I guess for I mean, just looking at the the chat right now, one of the, there's not a ton of questions, but there are so many people kind of reminiscing on when they when they saw you when they first mm. saw you at a particular banjo camp and had you know had a chance to talk to you about music or they saw you at this opera house or at this this venue in, in California and it's it's so like just really cool to see everyone just rallying around and just not just as a musician but like again like what you're doing for for the history of the instrument and and just pushing it forward you know in, in ways that other artists might not so I think on behalf of, of David and myself and everybody you know, watching and, and contributing to the chat room. Um, thank you. You're awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but you know, um, thanks for letting me join you and, and remind myself of what I actually do <laughs> for, <laughs> for a living. It's not just cooking, um, <laughs> which I don't mind cooking. I really don't. I've enjoyed, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I know how to make biscuits now and bread, all sorts of things. And oh, there you go. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I just, I think that uh, the banjo, as a final word, the banjo is the perfect image and emblem of America, you know, and the more that we embrace 
the beauty of that and the to- the entirety of that, like all of yeah. it. You know, the more we can understand about ourselves, about our the, the American identity, culture, you know, it's not a black or white thing. It's it really isn't. I mean, there's aspects of it, of course, that are affected by who we are. And certain groups have had harder times than others. That's, you know, and that's by class, by race, by whatever. But ultimately, the, the American character is is, I think, beautifully represented by the banjo, the mixture of all the things that go into that instrument. So that's one of the reasons why I will never stop talking about it. And, and of course, it's it's a tool. It's a tool for something that can really, you know, unite us. Music is one of the things in the world in general that that brings everybody together. I'm looking at it right now. You're talking about, you know, America, but also, you know, there's a ton of people in here from England, Ireland, Romania, you know, who are tuning in as well, and, and they all feel the same way. So, um, couldn't agree with you more. That's because America is made out of everyone. This is true. You know, that's everybody sees a piece of themselves. I mean, it's we need to embrace that yeah. way more, I think, because it is beautiful. Couldn't agree with you more. David, any parting uh, words of wisdom, pearls or otherwise? Thank you very much. It was, it was a blast to talk with you and listen to you play. So, yeah. Care. You're welcome. It really was. Nice to talk to y'all. Thank you for everybody for tuning in. This will be uh, up on uh, on the Deering, so DeeringBanders.com slash Deering Live, probably by the end of today, um, and on our YouTube channel as well. Um, tune in uh, for the next few episodes, but uh, we'll see you again, uh, I think, Dave, next week or the week after. We'll post it. Yeah. A little bit of Alison Brown coming up. So. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Go enjoy your evening. I know it's late there. Enjoy your kids. And thank you so, so much for everything. Thank you. Bye, guys. Stay well. Thanks, man. Bye.